Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. So we want to get right straight into the Word of God together. I want to speak to you tonight on your past. Everyone's got one. Uh, But let's read Isaiah 54, verse 1 through to 5. It says, Sing, O barren, you who haven't born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not laboured with child. That's her past. Her past is not about what's happened to her. It's about what hasn't happened that she wishes had. And I would imagine that tonight there'll be some of us here that would say, my past is marked by things that happened that I wish hadn't. And there'd be others of us here that will say my past is more marked by things I wish had happened, but they didn't. And she goes on, or God goes on and says, For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Don't spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will expand to the right and to the left. Your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Don't fear, for you won't be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. You'll forget the shame of your youth, and you'll not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He's called the God of the whole earth. Uh, I'd love you to get paper, pen, your devices out, whatever, to jot down some things tonight as we delve into what God does with a person's past. Uh, As I said earlier, everybody's got one, and certainly for this woman, the greatest obstacle to all these promises coming to pass is not the power of God. Understand that God is omnipotent, God is well able. That's never the issue. But the great obstacle in her life is all this stuff, and God lists it out. He talks about the shame and the reproach, about all the things that haven't happened in her life. In verse 4, he promises her, he says, you are going to forget. But in God, forgetting is not by taking away memory. Forgetting is by replacing what was your resident memory with the future that God's promised for you. You will most likely never forget what's happened to you but it can certainly dim and fade away into insignificance in your life compared to with what God opens up. The problem for this woman is that her past hasn't ever stayed her past. Her past has not ever simply lived in the space of those few years of her married life. Her problem is that her past has literally become her ever-present. It's become something that's a part of where she is now at that point. There's a medical condition, maybe you've heard of it. It's uh, really only gained awareness and prominence in about the last 20 years, since the year 2000, really. Uh, It's called hypomythesia. And it's literally a condition. So far, they've found about 20 people so far in the world who've got this condition of hypomythesia. What it means is they are incapable of forgetting anything. Now, to those of us that can't remember where we left our car, uh, we heard from somebody tonight in the pre-service, 
was telling us about how they actually rang up and reported their car to the police. They said, somebody's stolen my beat up old Mazda. I can't believe that anybody would even want my car. They went through the whole deal, filled out the police report, went through the whole thing. Uh, the police said, well, you know, or the guy dropped them off, said, I can't wait. They had to walk back. They stopped to get to a payphone, which is obviously this dates it a little bit. Uh, they stopped to get to a payphone, had to walk past the very building where they'd parked it the night before, uh, and there's their car. Uh, so hypermythesia sounds like a great thing. I heard of another. These are both very young people. They're both under 30. They told me these stories. I was so happy because sometimes when, uh, you know, if I've forgotten something, I've got three kids and they go, oh, gee, Dad, you're forgetting stuff. I was going, hello, you can't remember to take the rubbish out. Don't give me that. Uh, but one guy was telling me that he went around the entire house looking for his glasses, his reading glasses, only to discover once he'd searched the entire house, guess where they were? Right on his head. Anybody else ever done that? So, or you can't find your car keys or whatever, or you can't remember someone's name. Or, you know, I mean, hello. Anybody here in the building got a problem with forgetting stuff? I don't think any of you, so far they've found 20 that can't forget anything. Well, let me read to you about it. Uh, it's, it's also called Highly Superior Autobiographical Memory. H-S-A-M for short, who knew? Tell someone that tomorrow and, and act really impressed. I heard this at church. It first came to light in the early 2000s with a young woman named Jill Price. She emailed a memory researcher one day claiming she could recall every day of her life since the age of 12, could he help explain her experiences? He invited her to his lab and began to test her. He'd give her a date and ask her to tell him about the world events on that day. True to her word, she was correct every time. Luckily, this woman had kept a diary throughout that period, allowing the researchers to verify her recollections of personal incidents too. Again, she was right the vast majority of the time. After a few years of these sporadic studies, they decided to give her a further spontaneous test. They said, name the dates of every single time you visited our lab. In an instant, she reeled off a list of all of their appointments. None of the researchers could recall it, but comparing her account with their own records, they found that she was absolutely accurate. What a kind of a memory. You would think that's an incredible blessing. I remember reading about another guy. He can tell you the train he took, the time it left, whether it was on time out. He can tell you the number of the seat he sat in on the train every day to work. He can tell you what he wore on that day, what he ate on that day. It's almost like he's lost the ability to forget. And some of us that maybe think we're, we forget too much, we might tend to go, wow, wouldn't that be awesome? However, none of these people are thrilled with it. Every single one of them has come seeking help to learn how can I forget the stuff that's been in their life? Because the truth is, most of us, it's not the things we forget that matter, it's the things we can't forget. And this woman is certainly that what's happened to her has become part of who she believes she is. So she declares herself not to be someone who so far hasn't had a child. She says, I am childless. I am a widow. 
be very careful of choosing labels. Can I say to you, one of the, one of the great traps and one of the great strategies of the enemy is always to play with your identity. I was thinking this afternoon uh, about, I don't ask me why, but I, I just was thinking about that scripture in Isaiah where it speaks about the face of Jesus on the cross and it says his visage was marred more than any man. Why is it that the enemy wanted to get the face of Jesus? I, I get the crucifixion. I get the spear in the side. I get the crown of thorns on the head. But what about the face? It seems to me that what the enemy wants to do is to so tamper with your identity, to so mar that, to so destroy it, to so sully it, that you will leave there believing something about yourself, believing something. By the way, it seems to me that the only thing that post-cross changed about Jesus, he's still got the marks in his hands and the ones in his feet. He's got the hole in his side, but not one of the gospel writers references his face. So I'm not sure what happened there. I, I think God restored his identity and who he was. I get that it wasn't just about appearance, but because the scripture says in the book of Revelation that his face was like as the sun that shines in its strength. Something happened between the cross and the resurrection that restored the image of Christ. And I believe with all of my heart that when the enemy wants to get you trapped, he'll start giving you identity seeds that he plants into your life. I'm this, you know, I'm that, I'm I'm bad, I'm a sinner, I'm a loser, I'm a failure, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm little, I'm small. Gideon's problem, Abraham's problem, Moses' problem, all of their problems were nothing to do with the power of God, but they were all to do with what they believed about who they were. Think about this a minute, because a lot, most of you here would know the story. Moses uh, tries to deliver his people in his own strength. And that fails miserably. He flees after having killed an Egyptian. 40 years later, 40 years, that's a long, long time. 40 years. Most of you here haven't been alive that long. 40 years later, when God comes to him, the memory of his past is so strong. That's the first thing that comes out of Moses' mouth is the memory of the past. He says this, 40 years later, he says, they won't listen to me. Why? Because they never listened to him 40 years ago. And 40 years later, the memory of having zero influence, the memory of, of the kind of rejection that came his way was so potent. But I've walked with enough people and, and spoken with enough people over the years to know that some people still carry around in the adult life the, the memory of what happened with, uh, to them as a child. It still lingers in their life. They still go, this happened. They still go, that thing, that person. I've counseled with people who a broken relationship years before still lives. And the problem, as I was said before, the problem is not that she has a past. We've all got one. The problem is if you keep bringing your past with you, if you still keep on taking your yesterdays into your tomorrows, if you still keep, keep taking 
all that went on, the stain of it, the shame of it, the sin of it, the brokenness of it. I believe that Jesus wants to restore the identity. Why is the scripture so full of identity statements? That we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That we are kings and priests under our God. That we are a new creation. We are brand new species of being. Turn to any book of the New Testament and it is filled with statements about how God sees you and who you are. Now we can either just go, well, that's just the Bible. That's just preaching. And, and, and let our life settle at what we call normal. Or else instead of that, we can start to say, God, if that's who you say I am, I'm going to take on that identity. Gideon said, I'm the least of my father's house. Nobody will listen to me. And yet literally less than a year later, he commands an army where 33,000 people, 33,000 people say, I'll follow you who were the least. That's a pretty remarkable shift just because of an identity issue. Just because of a change that takes place in there. So tonight I want to talk to you about your past and about how you, you are doing with it. What are you doing with it? We know every Christian will say, I'm forgiven of my past. My problem is not that I was forgiven of it. My problem is that I still keep bringing it. And do you know that's incredibly possible to be forgiven of your past, but still live as though you weren't? Are you all here tonight? You're all looking a bit like this is a long weekend, Jeff, and can we have something lighter, please? No, I know you don't. You want to get right into this. We're forgiven, and God's promise to this woman is that this is the end of her past. That what she has believed for all these years, think about what he says, where he tells this woman, he says, many more are the children of the desolate. And she's putting her hand up saying, that's me. He says, many more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. He says, you've got to change the way you see yourself in this year of enlarge. I believe that for us as a church, we need as a church to go, this is who we are. We need for us as leaders, we need for us as believers, we need for us as disciples to say, God, I'm going to enlarge my life or see it enlarge by exchanging the identity I've carried and the things that I remember. The things, come on, some of you here in this place, if you live out the rest of your life according to your past, your life will be small. Your life will not carry significance. Your life will not carry courage. But if you tonight will say, God, I'm going to let the past be the past, then I believe things can change. Let me give you a few things about your past from how the scripture, you're going to need to get your brain on here. Firstly, whatever mistakes or failures I make, God is able to redeem for his purpose. Because not everything in my past is what happened to me. Sometimes it's stuff I've done. I don't know if anybody else, maybe this will help somebody here. I remember as a new Christian, I would stand in worship with my hands raised, loving Jesus, and the memory of sins I'd committed would come back into my mind. And I used to wonder about how in the heck does, why doesn't it turn up when I'm driving my car? How is it that I get in the presence of God and those things come up? It wasn't that they weren't forgiven. I just believe it's a tactic of the enemy. I really do. I think the enemy just wants to keep reminding you of what God's already forgotten. He said he cast it all in the sea of our forgetfulness. But sometimes these things in the past, they're not about stuff that happened randomly. It's stuff you screwed up on. 
In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we begin reading the story of David and Bathsheba. And it says this in verse 1, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. Kings go out to battle. Every king, I don't know, don't ask me why, they must have gone, I catch the opening of the footy season. And this is kings going to war season. You know, it's kind of like this is tennis season right now. Tennis is on every channel. Uh, you know, uh, but apparently this was battle season and they all go out. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. It's Bathsheba. The rest of the story goes on that David sends for her. She consents and comes. Well, they end up having a secret love affair. David in shame, which says, I'm going to try and cover this up. He knows her husband is one of the key guys in the armed services. So he brings him home, hoping because she turns up one day and goes, guess what I'm expecting? He goes, oh no, everyone's going to know. And so he decides to cover up his sin. And what went on? And so he calls back Uriah, her husband. Uriah comes back, but Uriah won't go to his wife. He won't sleep in the same room, won't be in the same bed. He actually puts himself at David's doorstep. He says, "I'm my loyalty is to you. How can I possibly go and enjoy the comforts of home, you know, when my brothers are out at war? So he won't do it. And the king goes, man. Man, I'm, you know, and so in desperation, he summons the general and orders that Uriah be put into the most difficult place in all of the battle, fully knowing that this man's likely to get killed. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah is killed. And I reckon David is there and all this thing going, if only I'd gone with the troops, I wouldn't have been home. If only. I had a got up off my bed and walked down and made a coffee. If only Bathsheba had not had a bath on the roof. Like, oh, whoa. You know, I'm not making excuses here, but don't tell me she didn't realise who her neighbour was. And don't tell me she never realised that his roof was higher than her roof. You know, I'm just saying, you know, I'm not blaming her. It's his fault. But if only she'd bathed in private that night. If only, there's all these if onlys go on and a whole world of pain gets unleashed. Come on. You know, please don't think I'm, I'm bringing condemnation to you. Follow on with me because God is able to redeem everything in your past for his purpose. Let me read on the very next chapter. Chapter 12, verse 24 says this. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He marries her after Uriah was killed. And he went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. What an incredible story. What an amazing picture of how that which was full of sin and full of brokenness and full of of unredeemed humanity that produced such pain and grief and sorrow. And yet God goes, that's not the end of the story. Come on, listen to me at night. Somebody here needs to hear this from the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is that you did, that's not the end of the story. Whatever it is that went on in your life, listen to me, that's not the end of the story. 
Somebody here in this building or listening to me via the podcast, you need to hear it tonight. That's not the end of the story. That's not the end. The enemy would love you to to tell you that that automatically, because that went on, because you did that, because you made a misstep or mistake, I don't know what it is, but because you did that, the enemy wants to tell you God's finished with you, that you're washed up, that the dreams will never happen, that it can't take place. He wants to tell you all of those things. And yet God goes out of this union that started in ungodliness, I am going to produce the wisest human that's ever been on the planet Earth. Huh? You wouldn't have the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, two whole books of the Bible. You wouldn't have that if God couldn't redeem. Come on. If God, come on. The, the, isn't not the Bible an amazing book? Isn't the Bible amazing because it doesn't pretend and it doesn't hide stuff? It just puts it out there and lets you know that God has taken broken people, messed up people, people that have missed it. Now, most of us here have never done I don't, I don't be surprised if anybody here can come to me later and go, that's exactly what happened to me. Because I'm going to be really a little bit concerned if you've had someone killed. Uh, that's just saying, I'm just, you know, I'm pro- it's possible, but I don't think it's very likely. But how many of us here have ever disobeyed God have ever not taken the what God put in front of us and then later on we go beating the daylights out of ourselves. Hello? Okay, it's just me then. Listen, God's purpose trumps the failures and mistakes of my past. God's purpose will always trump the failures and mistakes of my past. You've got a past. You might have done things. You might have messed up. Listen to me. Understand this and believe it tonight. God's purpose trumps those things. The word trump simply means it overrules. That's all. It means that regardless of that, it overrules it. God's purposes are never derailed because of your mistakes or mine. I think that's great news. I think that's awesome because I don't know about you, but I've made a few missteps. I've made a few mistakes. I've stepped in a few places I shouldn't have stepped. I've done some things, thought some things, said some things. But God's purpose trumps the failures and mistakes of my past. Here's number two. Second thing about your past is God can use my past to make a new future. In Acts 22, Paul is defending his conversion and his life with God. But look how he describes his past. He says, I'm indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, you don't reference your teacher if it was Mrs. Agnes. You reference your teacher if that person's well-known as he was. By the way, we're told in Acts 5 that Gamaliel was one of the leaders of the entire Jewish community in Jerusalem. He's the one who stood up and said, don't fight these Christians. You might turn out to be fighting against God. Gamaliel was a much revered and respected teacher. And he says, I was brought up at his feet. I was taught according to the strictness of our father's law, was zealous towards God as all of you are today. He goes on and says, I persecuted this way to the death. And he did in, in Acts where Stephen is martyred. It says this, that the people stoning Stephen, the very first martyr of the church, the people stoning him went and took their garments. They took their jackets off so they could get a good throw. It says they went and put them at the feet of Saul, the same man, later renamed Paul. They put their garments at his feet and it says this, and Saul was consenting unto his death. This guy's no, you know, I've done it all right. 
And I discovered God through the reading of the word. She says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there in Jerusalem. This guy is so fired up about the Christians and, and persecuting them. He's willing to go travel to another city to bring them back out of that. Paul, highly trained in the law of Moses, who gladly holds the coats of those who stoned Stephen, the first martyr, the expert in law becomes the greatest exponent of grace. Think about that a minute. The greatest preacher of the law, the most assiduous, the most diligent person when it came to all the law, read Paul's writings, the epistles of Paul. On every chapter almost, there is a reference to the grace of God. He starts off every epistle, Paul called according to the grace of God, calls himself the preacher of grace. The expert in the law becomes the greatest exponent of grace. Let me say this to you tonight. You might want to remember it. Some of the things that you've been through are the very things that give you your voice. Nobody will, will listen to Paul if he was just some foreigner dude from somewhere or other. They listen to him. Why? Because of his past. Can I say to you, you the things you've been through, they may be the very things. Come on. I spoke to someone recently. They said, I said, I'd love to interview you and talk with you about, you know, your journey. And they said, well, I will when it's finished. I said, no, you don't understand. Most people don't need to hear the finished story. They need to hear the ongoing journey. Can I say to you, you don't have to wait because if you're going to wait until you're perfected or you'll be dead and it's too late. Amen. Come on. You, you need to start using your past now. What, are you, what have you been through? What are you going through? What have you been there on? Sometimes the very thing that you wish you could forget is the very thing that gives you influence and significance. It's the very thing that somebody needs to hear. Sometimes, have you been through a loss? Or have you been through a, a challenge? Have you been through a difficulty? The Psalms are so powerful and speak so much to us. Why? Because they're so honest. David doesn't go, well, you know, it's a beautiful song and everything is beautiful. He doesn't sing that song. He sings, man, God, where are you? That's one of David's songs. One of David's songs is, oh, God, how come all my enemies are doing better than I am? That's one of his songs. Top, if I gave you the, the top 100, the top 100 on Triple Bible, if I gave you the top 100 on Triple Bible, you'd be flabbergasted at the songs that make the top 100. David's singing songs about his sin and his brokenness. And, you know, he's not writing them and just going, I hope these never go anywhere. They were out on the website of Jerusalem, jerusalem.com. They're out there. They're put up there. People are downloading them from Spotify. They're getting the thing all happening. Other people are starting to sing his songs. Why? Why, why do we love the Psalms? We love them because we see ourselves in them. Come on, are you, are you here with me? I'm not asking you to air all your dirty laundry, you know, or everything. Well, you know, I did this and then I did that. No one's going to, we're not bagging them, applauding, you know. But sometimes what you've been through is the very thing where you can see the hand of God in it. 
Hello? Man, I, I, for me, anyhow, I look back and I go, I know what that feels like. I know what that's like. I've been there on that. I reckon there's almost not a week goes past in my life. Rhonda and I were in Adelaide last week and speaking there. And on the Monday before we left, a couple of the pastoral team took us out for brunch. And we, you know, we, but we're not talking church. They said, can we talk to you about raising kids? Can we ask you about how do you go, how do you raise great kids? They said, this one's nearly a teenager. Tell us, we're a bit scared. Now, I'd love to tell you that we did everything right. I usually start telling them all the things we didn't do right. There's been a few moments of those. But you know what? Then you start saying, but this is what God did. This, uh, you know, God promises something for our families. He really does. If you ever go, I'm going to get married, marry another Christian. I'm, I'm saying that just for this one reason, if you can. Maybe, maybe it's too late, but if you can marry another Christian, you get someone who will agree with you about the future, what it looks like. That's pretty powerful. Get somebody that can agree with you. I don't mean agree on your opinions. I mean agree in the sense of Bible agreement. God, this is what's going to happen in our life. Some of the things you've been through are the very things that give you your voice because your past is either a stepping stone or a stumbling block. Here's number three, third thing. My past doesn't disqualify me. My past is what qualifies me. Let's read again just quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul again writing says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the chief of the lot. Can you imagine if I got up to preach here and I said, By the way, I just want to tell you that your pastor is the worst sinner in all of Perth. No, I don't care. No, it's not that fellow in jail. It's me. I'm the worst sinner. No, it's not that person over there living that life. No, I'm the worst sinner. And if I started ramping it all out to you, you'd all be going, Why should I listen to this guy? Paul could have allowed his past. Come on. I know I'm talking to people here tonight. You can allow your past to disqualify you, to tell you that's the reason why God won't use you, because look how you've gone and look what you've done. The reality is Paul says this about his past. He goes on and says, however. Everyone say however. However means that's true, but. Huh? And you all need to have a sanctified but. Amen. I won't go down that road. I'm just going to stay right where I am. He says, however, for this reason. Are you getting this? He says, because of my past, I obtain mercy. Because of my mistakes. Because of my ignorance. I obtain mercy. Watch this. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering. Can you imagine that? He's saying, you know what? Oh, my life is proof that God will forgive anybody because I was such a screw-up, such a mess, that if God can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. Huh? And long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him. He doesn't think his past disqualifies him. He actually thinks it qualifies him for what God's called him to do. Let me give you just two more quickly, and I won't, I won't be very long on them, but... The truth is that history is changed by the people who say yes to God's people. 